to Rebel Madman Radio here on Republic Broadcasting Network on the second day of March in the year of 2024. And uh, folks, uh, first off, let's uh, get the brass tacks here. And uh, we need uh, you folks to step up and help in any way that you possibly can to keep RBN afloat, to keep things going, to provide a platform for free speech. Uh, If you want free speech, if you believe in free speech, here's a great way to support it. So I would ask that you go to republicbroadcasting.org and hit that donate button or, uh, you know, maybe even buy some products and support the people who support RBN with the advertisers. That is critically important. Well, that being said, uh, folks, I had planned today to have a uh, kind of a secret guest on. But uh, or a surprise guest, but uh, unfortunately things didn't work out, and they're coming back at a later time, and so we'll accommodate that. It was a family issue, so we'll make sure we uh, get to that. And just to let you know that next week here on this platform, it is the monthly Black Ball Spooks program, and then on two weeks from today, on the 16th of March, uh, the lady from formerly from New York will make a return appearance to my program here, and that would be none other than Mrs. Q, Karen Quinones. And uh, she and her husband, Eddie, have completed their move, to the best of my knowledge, into Pennsylvania. They had to get out of the hellhole that was New York City. And so I know that was a tough transition for them, but they made that move. And things worked out for them, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Well, today... We're going to talk about a subject that, uh, you know, a supporter of this program uh, actually sent me an email and uh, was uh, asking me some questions about a position that I have taken in the past and a position that I stand by today, and that is a position of not voting. And uh, so she had quite a few questions, and she said that she and several others would like for those questions to be answered, but... First of all, let's get into this deal about voting. And I realize I'm going to uh, push some people's uh, fur the wrong way here, and I really don't give a darn. But if it's true, it's true. And uh, that is what we have to go by. If the truth offends you, I can't even apologize for that. No one should ever apologize for offending you with the truth. But uh, And if the truth offends you, you're the one that has the problem. So uh, anyway, and I think probably without a shadow of a doubt, probably the uh, best quote about voting would have come from, you know, the genius himself, Mr. Einstein, when he said that, you know, insanity is people doing the same thing over and over and over again expecting a different result, that that is the very definition of insanity. That is also the definition of voting. And we also know that Mark Twain said if voting could change anything, they'd make it illegal, which they would. But let's stop and think about something. Voting was put into the Constitution naturally to give the semblance of the fact that the people actually had a say-so in the government. 
But then everything else in the Constitution is designed to make sure that you don't have any other say-so in the government. I mean, let's look at the premise here. You can vote all you want to in every election. Do you get to count those votes? No. Who counts them? Well, the government counts the votes. That brings me back to a quote by the late, great Butler Schaefer when he said, no matter who you vote for, the government gets elected. And that is true. So the government gets to count the vote. Well, if you have any problems with that, if you see some irregularities and you see some things that really trouble you about voting, well, what can you do? Well, you can appeal to the government to rectify their own crimes. Hmm. And how has that worked out in the past? They are the final arbiters of what they do. Not you, not me. You are not the final arbiter because you can vote. That is absolute insanity. You are not the final arbiter. And so we look at how the system was set up. And it was set up purposely exactly so that the government would always be in control. Now, if enough people begin to catch on to what's going on and enough people follow the government's own policy. Let's go back to 2005 in Iraq. And there is an election in Iraq. And the U.S. government, who was administering an election in a foreign country. Now, imagine that. They were administering the election, and they stated that if at least 50% of the Iraqi eligible voters didn't show up to vote, then it was an invalid election because it showed that the people didn't support their own government. Well, if we apply that to America's policies, well, if you're in the government, the thing that you must do is you must make sure that you always have enough voters to make sure that that at least 50% of them vote. So if the American public begins to understand that there's something going on here that just isn't right, maybe we'll just drop out. Well, folks, why do you think that they give illegal aliens amnesty and free stuff? Now, I think it's coming this election. I, I don't think this was an accident. Uh, because if you look at patterns and you've ever watched exactly what government does in certain situations, it becomes really obvious what is happening here. Because let's say late summer of 2024, and a big election is coming. Oh, it's going to be terrible. Will it be Biden? Will it be Trump? Or whoever is actually running, it makes not a hill of beans who's actually running because the government will get their choice. You don't have the choice. You think you do. It's an illusion. It's a wet dream. You do not have a choice in who runs the country, and they make sure of that. Well, let's uh, look for a couple of examples. All right, uh, the year was, uh, what, 2000, and we have election, a presidential election between Al Gore and George W. Bush. Well, Suddenly, the government realizes that they might not put their candidate in office. And so they go, okay, well, we'll fix this. 
So what they did was they brought in the Supreme Court when they saw that the election might not go their way. They brought in the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ordered the state of Florida to stop counting votes. That's election tampering, people. If you go in in the next election, go into your nearest polling place and go in there and stand at the door and say, nobody else comes in here, I'm stopping the vote. You'll go to prison. But when the Supreme Court did it, who's going to challenge that? So the Supreme Court violates election laws, violates the whole concept of a free election by suppressing a vote. But did the Republicans complain? Well, no. There was no complaints from the Republicans. Hey, we our guys in, our guys in, yay, Supreme Court. Well, let's jump ahead 20 years. We have an obviously totally fraudulent election in 2020. And several states asked for the Supreme Court to intervene. And what did they say? No, we're not going to hear this case. So they decided they would tamper with an election by not intervening in that election well did the republicans complain about that yeah you damn right they did did the democrats no because their guy was in this great political divide that they have created with the two-party system is exactly what they need to perpetuate the criminal actions of this government because everybody believes if we can vote our guy in Things will really change. It's never happened in 234 years. But people still hang on to that dream. You know, it's kind of like the Tooth Fairy or the Easter Bunny. They have this mythology which they can't let go of because they believe that it actually matters if they vote. And I'm telling you, I don't in any way ever believe that. Now, what would happen... You know, if we suddenly quit voting, well, that's what I'm saying. If this were to happen, if it looks like towards the end of this year that the vote may not, there may not be 50% of the voters show up. If something happens, they're pushing this great antagonism antagonism between the R's and the D's, Trump and Biden. They're doing this intentionally because it, it, it hits the emotions. And the people are going to get emotional. Oh, I got to vote. I got to vote. I got to go vote. I've got to. I can't let that guy get in. You know, each side is saying the same thing. I can't let that other guy get back in there. I can't let that happen. So the media and everyone else has hyped this, and they begin hyping it, you know, when the year started. But then all of a sudden, they give themselves away with all of this free stuff to all of these illegal immigrants illegal aliens, to come into the country. We're going to give you free stuff. We'll put you in a free place. We'll give you free transportation. We're going to give you all of this free stuff. You know, at the same time, we've got thirty-five to 40,000 homeless veterans out there scratching to try to find something to eat and a place to live. And what is the government doing for them? Not near as much as it's doing for the illegal aliens in this country. 
Well, you know, <laughs> it's it's really a strange thing when you look at it. But here, I'm I'm firmly convinced, folks, absolutely firmly convinced that if they believe that there's not going to be a groundswell of voters to legitimize their corruption in November, sometime between now and then, with an executive order just like the good old Ronald Reagan did, with an executive order, they're going to give these people amnesty. Now, you got to understand government. They're play on words. They're giving them amnesty, but you don't understand what they're giving them is legality. They're not only pardoned for breaking the law and coming across the border. They have suddenly become voters because they're now legal citizens. All they got to do is go down and register and vote. And believe you me, they will be working this to their advantage. And they'll also manipulate it just like they did in 2020 and 2022. And, you know, we can even go back to the 1960 election. The 1960 election was a fraudulent election. The 1984 election, I mean, the 2004 election was a fraudulent election. Probably most all of them have been fraudulent for one reason. You don't get to count the votes. You don't decide if your vote is valid. The government decides if your vote is valid. And no matter how many times they manipulate it, no matter how many times they manipulate the system to their advantage, people just keep voting. Well, there's that old saying of what if they gave an election and nobody came? Well, it's it's really strange when we stop and think about it, about this. Oh, what would happen if we quit voting? If you're curious about the result of non-eating, you come upon the question of why we eat. So the query would bring up a reason for voting in some ways. The theory of government by elected representatives is that these fellows are hired by the voting citizenry to take care of all matters relating to their common interest. However, it is different from ordinary employment in that the representative is not under specific orders, but is given blanket authority to do what he or she believes is desirable for the public welfare in any and all circumstances, subject allegedly to constitutional limitations. People, there are no constitutional limitations on what government does. You can believe that pipe dream forever, but all it will do is tighten the slaves I mean, tighten the change of your slavery. In all matters relating to public affairs, the will of the individual is transferred to the elected agent whose responsibility is commensurate with the power thus invested in them by the voters, allegedly. But, folks, we look at this, and I've stopped and thought about this many times. How we're really not going to get enough people ever to quit voting who are actually legal citizens. It's just not going to happen. Why is it not going to happen? And it's not going to happen because of so many welfare and giveaway programs that are already here. Now, folks, no one, and we saw this with the uh, COVID BS, 
people will take a vaccination not knowing what's in it to maintain a paycheck. So if you think for a minute that they would not vote believing that it might take away some kind of benefit they're getting from the federal government, which takes me back to an anti-federalist back 234 years ago who made this say the, how this government would remain regardless of how crooked or how corrupt it began. How, and it would maintain its own existence with a long chain of pensioners. Now, for years, that kind of slipped by me. But then when I look at it and I look at all of the giveaway programs – and, you know, people will say, well, well, you know, it's not a giveaway, you know. Well, the only thing that is not a giveaway program in actuality, folks, is Social Security because you pay into that. So that is the only one that is not a benefit of some kind or another. And we know that no one who is receiving a substantial retirement that comes from the United States government is ever going to not vote. And they don't care what the government does to someone else as long as they get their paycheck. They really don't. They might convince you that they're patriots. They might convince you that they're loyal. They might wave the flag and salute and do all of the other stuff and sing the Star Spangled Banana. They might do that. But they, their self-interest. Now, that takes me back to something that James Madison said to a letter said in a letter to Thomas Jefferson to give you a little bit of background Jefferson was in France back then and he was the ambassador to France and he was not here during the time of the constitutional convention now I know that comes to a surprise it comes as a surprise to about 100 million people because everyone thinks Jefferson was there but he wasn't and so his buddy, James Madison, was sending him letters from time to time to let him know what was happening at the convention. Now, please understand, they didn't have uh, email. They didn't have all of this other stuff. So when Madison wrote a letter that went to Jefferson uh, in France, it took uh, somewhere between one to three months for him to get the letter. And then when he answered, it was the same way uh, going back. But the wonderful Mr. Madison made a point after the uh, actual, uh, if I may, after the after the Constitution, I'm sorry, after the Constitution had been signed on September 17th, a week later, James Madison sends his friend Thomas Jefferson a letter, and in that letter he says, you know, we knew that. There was no way we were going to be able to construct a new constitution that would allow the states to approve or disapprove of our actions. Now, I'm paraphrasing here, folks. You can read the letter for yourself. But he said, we knew that we would never get anything done if every state had to agree because every state would not agree to our plans. So what we had to do was we had to create a government that acts on the individual and not on the states. It has to be a government of the gives us power over every individual, not states. We have to get rid of the states, or we can, as uh, Madison said, we can allow them to exist where they are subordinately useful. And that's exactly what they are today. 
So then they decided, okay, all right, well, we've got this where we can operate on the individual. And then Madison makes one of the most absurd statements that I've ever read from anyone. It's kind of an inference and, and rather than a direct statement. But he says that it was incumbent upon us to create a new government to protect the people of the 13 states from their state governments. So the reason we wrote this new constitution is so we could protect the people from their state governments. Now, do you really believe that? But we also know they were really, really particular about what they did. And, you know, uh, Article 6 is probably one of the best ones to point this out because I'm going to branch off here in a couple of minutes to some specifics that I was asked to address by this uh, lady who supports RBN and our program. So we look at Article 6, and Article 6, Clause 1 was a very unique clause in that it said that only the debts owed by the United States were to be valid and honored. Now, most people, and I read that through the Constitution, I don't know how many, probably 100 or 200 times in my lifetime before I realized, after reading some of Sentinel's essays, that, hey, why would you, any bookkeeper in the world knows that to maintain a ledger or to maintain uh, your books, you have to have the ins and the outs. You have to pay what you owe and you have to get what is owed to you. Well, suddenly they created a constitution and not telling people that a great number of people who were actually at the Constitutional Convention owed money to the U.S. government, money which they had embezzled from the U.S. government. One man is accused of embezzling up to $17 million, and that was Robert Morris. And so with the passage, with the ratification of the Constitution – all of the debts that were owed by these people to the federal government no longer existed. Plus, just to make sure, they threw in the ex post facto law into the Constitution, which means that even after the Constitution was ratified, no one could go in and write a law to make them pay that money that they had embezzled, either that or the uh, stocks that they owned in the Bank of North America which, uh, you know, uh, the money had been loaned to them by Robert Morris, <clears throat> pardon me, out of the public treasury, public treasury, uh, Morris takes money and gives it to his friends so they can buy stock in his new bank, which means that then he takes the rest of the money that is coming in from France and other people, he takes that and puts it into his bank, and then he loans the government money out of his bank, provided that they buy war materials from his company, Willing and Morris. So it is a big scam from the very beginning, and how many of these people who owed money, again, to the federal government or the United States government, how many of them were actually at the convention writing these very laws? Quite a few of them, if you do your homework. We know Morris was there. Gouverneur Morris was there. You know, quite a few other people were there that owed money to the federal government. So let's go in and let's write a law that we don't have to pay anybody anything. 
but they have to pay us. And then we can jump to Article 6, Clause 2, which is the Supremacy Clause, which is going to matter quite a bit in the rest of my discussion here. And the Supremacy Clause, number one, states that whatever the federal government does is constitutional because they are the supreme. That's why you have the Supreme Court, because whatever they rule, there is no appeal. And that was intentional with that supremacy clause. It made everything they did supreme, including treaties and everything else. And then, ironically, then we go from there to Article 6, Clause 3. And Article 6, Clause 3 says that there can be no, uh, in essence, a state religion. In other words... Twelve of the 13 states, folks, in 1787 had a uh, requirement in their state constitutions that people take an oath to the Christian faith to hold office. Well, you know, gosh, we can't have those kind of people in office, so let's do away with that. And we not only will do away with it on the federal level, we'll do away with it on the state level. Because under before the unconstitutional 17th Amendment, the state actually appointed, the state legislatures appointed these senators. So we can't have that happening now, can we? We just, you can't do that. So we have to make sure that we have no one, no one in the government that takes an oath to uphold the Christian faith. We have to make sure of that. Of course, they have to include all the other faiths, too. But, you know, no oath, no uh, oath to a faith can be put into the Constitution, and no one is required to take such an oath. But you must take an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. Now, that act right there, I don't care, you know, that act right there goes against the First Commandment, people. Because when they did Article 6, Clause 3, they did it intentionally. Again, 12 of the 13 states at that time, only Rhode Island, did not have a requirement in their state constitution that the person take an oath to the Christian faith. And so, you know, folks, don't judge the Christians of 1787 by the people who call themselves Christians today. Please don't, because back then, if you do your homework, it's a bit different than what we have ever been taught, I promise you. But the lady who had the question or who wanted me to elaborate on this, she went into, she said, well, you know, what about local elections? You know, what about voting for constitutional sheriffs? What about voting for, you know, your commissioners, your mayor, uh, you know, your uh, county supervisors, all of these people that you're allowed to vote for locally, why not? Why, why is it wrong to vote for them? Well, it's really quite simple when you break it down. It's because each one of those people you elect on a local level has to take an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. Be back on the other side, folks. 
You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Do you begin to smell some funky little things going on? Let me share this story with you. It's not so much a story, it's something I wrote years ago. Read your history, people. Stock markets collapse on Friday. Bank seizures, closures, holidays take place after business hours on Friday. Do currencies or governments also collapse on Friday? <laughs> Tomorrow's Friday. Will the end come on this Friday or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people. And the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Look, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge. And I'm prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for private consultation. Once again, our phone number is 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. Yeah. 
tell folks, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, you you have to stand for something or you'll fall for anything, which is another song by Aaron Tippin. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. I guess it's that uh, country voice that I just uh, that means so much. But the words are, are very valuable there. No, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, if I and I realize people would say you're dumb, but uh, and I may be. But I, if I was much wealthier, but I was advocating uh and taking that money from my fellow citizen, I, I could never resolve myself to do that. Although we have a long line of pensioners that are doing exactly that. And they will support the government because it is the source of money. And again, I realize I've taken on one of those things called a sacred cow here, which has endured throughout the history of you know our society today. But there's one thing I learned a long time ago. Sacred cows make the best hamburger. And when I look at this and I analyze uh, from, a, from a different perspective, and I look at why people vote, people really vote because of, I believe, two reasons. Number one is they want somebody to do what they're too lazy to do, or they want somebody else to do what they are too cowardly to do for themselves. So what they do is they wish and hope and vote. And it it, it doesn't work. You know, <laughs> that's something, you know, hope, uh, you know, Patrick Henry addressed that. And he said that we shall listen to that siren song of hope until we are all turned into beasts. And we're there because you look at the people who would willingly support a government that stole your money as long as they gave part of it to them. And that's why they're voting. But, you know, I think we have to look at the core values of open mindedness and curiosity. And if we do, you will begin to understand this. And that is the first thing I'm not asking you to do or saying, you know, stop voting that's not a request for you to stop being involved i am i wouldn't suggest for a minute that you become apathetic or even lazy about your responsibility but people who are lazy are the ones who vote and most of them don't have a clue about the governance they don't have a clue that the government can do any darn thing they want to well and the first thing, you know, we forget, you know, I talked about Article 6, but let's go back to the very first power that this government gave to Congress, the power of unlimited taxation. Folks, the very thought of that ought to turn you against the Constitution. Unlimited taxation from unlimited sources for any reason they deem, not you, you don't get to choose. I mean, they may take your money and send it to the Ukraine. You may not agree with that. They may take your money and uh, promote wokeism in America. Or they may take your money and give it to illegal immigrants. But they are constitutional when they do so. And as I was talking about before we went to the break about local elections and what have you, folks, no matter who you elect, I, I don't care if it's your dog catcher. 
your dog catcher, if they take an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution, they cannot fight the Constitution and they cannot fight the government because the government is the Constitution. And I know you can go over and over about your Bill of Rights and your Tenth Amendment and your Second Amendment and all that other stuff. When has it ever worked? Would you, the people that push these things, oh, Second Amendment of Foundation, oh, the Tenth Amendment, uh, whatever they call it, all of these other people. And they push these things that haven't worked. How did the Tenth uh, Amendment help out with the, uh, you know, the universal health care, Obamacare? How did it help out with that? Thirty-seven states had actually petitioned the federal government to do away with Obamacare, or we all really ought to call that Mitt Romney care because he actually got it passed when he was there. When he was a governor, he actually got it passed and supported it. So we're looking at this. People, there's not any difference between a Democrat and a Republican except for the spelling. They're both socialist at the base or Marxist at the top. That you're, you're, All you're voting for is more socialism. But they have pushed us and maneuvered us and with all of their emotional stuff to make you think that you could really change the government by voting. Folks, they did away with that with the first amendments to the Constitution. And I mentioned this with Stephen last night on RBN, Stephen Whitener and Blackbird 9. And I mentioned this about, you know, they can do whatever they want. Because they have, can take any amount of money. Stop and think about this, people. If they can take any amount of money they want, they can take all you have. It's really that simple. And I've gone into the IRAs and 401ks, and they're going to take that too. You think they're not? Hang on, because it's coming. Because they are not going to leave any money anywhere or any property anywhere in the hands of anyone but their chosen few. And it's coming. And you're voting for it. You have been voting for it. I did too. There was a time in my life up until 1992 I thought I could actually change something. And then all of this came crashing down into my thought process. And that was that's very simple. You can't change anything because you went to the polls. And then again, to go back to the lady who wanted to know about the local ones, again, you know, I will call, you know, I lived in southwest Colorado. We had an election in 2014. And ironically, here was something I wanted to point out about that i have a very good friend back there in colorado he's a preacher and just as wonderful a man as you're ever going to meet anywhere he and i when i lived there we had a regular standing tuesday morning breakfast together where we talked about all sorts of things and we spent other times together, too. He came to my Constitution classes, and, and he was the man 
that I always wanted to open our class with prayer and to close our class with prayer. But he and I were talking in early 2014, you know, well, we got a sheriff's election coming up, and I'll never forget something Raymond told me. He said, Mike, I've lived in this county for over 50 years, and we have never had an honest sheriff. Let's stop and think about the elections over that 50 years. How many elections did they have? And elections over a half a century hadn't produced an honest sheriff? Well, we tried to get one in, and I worked on that, folks. I'll admit that, 2014. That's the last time I cast a single vote, didn't vote for anything else except the sheriff's election. And wouldn't you... Wouldn't you know it that suddenly in 2014, which wasn't a presidential election year, suddenly in this county, in this small county in southwestern Colorado, they had three to 4,000 people more vote in the 2014 election than they had in the presidential election of the two years previous? And one of the things I have never agreed in, agreed with, but they have it in Colorado, is write-in ballots. Well, you know, then something very funny happened in 2016. Suddenly, the people who had write-in ballots, and my wife was one of them, suddenly she gets three or four ballots in the mail in 2016 for the presidential election. And I had another good friend who got... He got four votes, which means somehow prior to this time to be been sent a ballot, someone either registered in his name or a variation of his name or someone voted in 2014. People, you are not going to secure an honest election. They do not exist in nature because you do not get to count the votes. And the people with the power are going to decide who is elected. Yes, that uh, voting is a pacifier. They let you suck on while they're raping you. It's just absolutely incredible that people keep falling for it. So, you know, you may consider people who vote to be people of action. They believe that they have a role and a responsibility in preserving our democracy or republic or whatever they want to call it this week. And they are willing to take time and trouble to impact the way our country is run. Well, my position is that voting no longer serves as an expression of your power or authority. It has been reduced to a tiresome exercise of taking sides in a never-ending struggle born out of a completely and totally false dichotomy, D's and R's. This false dichotomy has been maintained both as a distraction and to provide all of you with that pacifier or the illusion of you are involved and you made a choice. Well, the basic mechanism being used by government is that traditional liberal, conservative, progressive, whatever you want to call them today, dichotomy. Well, 
to participate in government, one is prompted to self-identify as leaning towards one or the other of these two parties. And much of the drive and the energy around political discourse gets reduced to bickering between two fundamental false dichotomies. One that would have us empower the brightest, the richest, and the most successful among us to help them lead the entire society into prosperity. (laughs) Yeah, how many people voted for Trump in 2016 believing that was going to happen? But the other that would focus on empowering the less fortunate of the society so that they can experience a certain level of dignity and equality with all of the other members of our vast collective. Well, I got to tell you that, yeah, it's a temptation to choose sides. And that is exactly why this fraudulent activity has worked in this country for so long. But at some point, what should finally become you know, evident even to Ray Charles is the obvious fact that these two ideologies need to work in balance to create the optimal level of harmony, prosperity, and fulfillment within a society. But they don't, do they? That's because there's no difference between the two except for spelling. Well, getting these two ideologies to work in balance is supposed to be what our government legislatures are designed for you've got one aisle you've got the other aisle you know you've got all of this other stuff that we hear about you know from these talking heads who are reading their cia approved uh news on every channel that you can tune in well you know it just isn't going to happen people it hasn't happened yet and it's not going to happen and you keep hoping And believe me, hope is not a method. It is not a force multiplier. Hope is simply that, hope. And nothing has ever been changed with hope. Well, what what do we have in our legislatures, even at the state level, when you talk about, oh, I need to vote at the state level? What you have, look at it now. I mean, look at the fiasco we've got going on here in Georgia with the, uh, you know, mayor up there who is, you know, oh, you know, it wasn't a, yeah, this, uh, we had a college co-ed who was murdered, uh, but, uh, but uh, by an illegal immigrant, but, 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 but we can't judge all of them by this. No, 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 we can't. Well, technically you can't. But anyone else want to go through the records of this country today and see how many crimes are being committed by these people who are in this country according to our own laws in this country illegally? You want to give that a shot? How has your voting stopped that? Well, oh, well, we'll vote for Republican. That'll put a stop to it. Well, who was the first one to give them amnesty? None other than Mr. Ronald Reagan, you know, and he is about as popular and (laughs) it's incredible. He is about as popular as Lincoln with the Republicans. 
But, uh, you know, as we think about this immigration, especially now, it might be helpful to remember back then that in 1986, the wonderful Red Ronnie Reagan signed a sweeping immigration reform bill into law. It was sold as a crackdown on protecting the borders. Look at how they duped you back then. He said there would be tighter security at the Mexican border and employers would face strict penalties for hiring undocumented workers. Well, everybody goes goo-goo-ga-ga over that. Oh, yes, this is exactly what we need. Uh, we're going to give amnesty or legality to 3 million people. So instantly you've got 3 million voters, right? Or, you know, maybe some of them are too young, but the potential voters. But then we look at this, and what did the Congress do with this legislation? Well, they said we were going to have tighter border security, but they removed the majority of the penalties for hiring illegal aliens from that 87 bill. Well, the bill made any immigrant who had entered the country before 1982 eligible for amnesty. Now, in his renewed push for an immigration overall, let's go back, and we had the President Obama And he called for Republican support for a bill to address the growing population of illegal immigrants in the country. But, you know, for some reason, then suddenly the Republicans didn't want anything to do with that. But with the amnesty thing, even though they had supported it under Reagan, are you beginning to see the dichotomy that means nothing here? They have separated the people along emotional lines, and they want you to vote for one of the other, and they must always appear to be adversarial. Oh, you know. But if you want to get a Republican elected, have some of the most hated Democrats talk bad about him or her, and they'll be in in a heartbeat. So – It's just incredible to look at in so many ways. Uh, But uh, let's go back and look at a little bit of that 1987 fiasco. And let's look at some words from former Wyoming Senator Alan Simpson. And he said, we used the word legalization. And everybody fell asleep for a while and we were able to do legalization. So the people thought that these people were getting amnesty, but what they were were made legal citizens. The law granted amnesty to nearly 3 million illegal immigrants, yet it was largely considered unsuccessful because of the strict sanctions on employers were stripped out of the bill before it was passed by the Congress. Now, Simpson said that the amnesty provision actually saved the act from being a total loss. And his quote was, it's not perfect, but 2.9 million people came forward. 
If you can bring one person out of an exploited relationship, that's good enough for me. People who's exploited in this country, the illegals who come in and are given free stuff or those of us who have to pay for their free stuff or have to be the victims of their crimes. I mean, I can take you all the way back to the 1990s when I lived in Tucson, Arizona for uh, near nine years. And I saw the illegal. I lived west of Tucson. And I saw the illegal immigrant problem way back then. And I saw the fact that the government was doing very little to nothing to stop it even then. So, uh, you know, that exploited relationship, who was exploiting them? Is it our government or their, wherever they left from? And here's another thing, folks, that just absolutely common sense should tell you. We cannot be pushing wars in all of the country where we are being adversarial. And many of those are not you don't even know about because these are top secret operations in various countries to overthrow governments. We've been doing it since World War II. So here's the thing that makes absolutely no sense to me. How in the world do you condone saying, okay, we're over here making all of these enemies, we're killing innocent people in all of these countries, but we don't protect our borders. We don't put our military on the border where they should be. That's what I told people in 2016. If Trump was for real, he would say, when I'm elected, I will bring the military home and put them on our borders. This has to be stopped. All of this BS about building a wall is the most ridiculous thing in the world. But, uh, you know, stop and think. That wall works two ways, doesn't it? It can also keep you in. But I don't see that as the real critical issue there. But, you know, we've had these conservative people like, uh, you know, Glenn Beck and the late Rush Limbaugh who would – always say that Ronald Reagan was the champion of the conservative agenda. And Sean Hannity from Fox News even had a regular segment called, What Would Reagan Do? Simpson, however, the former senator, saw a different person in the president he called a dear friend. Reagan knew that it was not right for people to be abused, Simpson says. Anybody who's here illegally is going to be abused in some way, either financially or physically. They have no rights. Well, they lost those rights when they crossed the border illegally, Mr. Simpson. That is absolutely the most incredible nonsense that I can ever remember hearing in my life. Well, folks, uh, nearing the end of this uh, first hour, and I hope that uh, the people, again, I want to reiterate, no matter who you vote for at any position, They will take an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution, by doing that, they are not upholding and defending you. They're upholding and defending the government. I don't care if it's a tax collector. I don't care if it's a, you know, the dog people. I don't care who it is that has a government that runs for a government position. They are still subject to the final decrees of the federal government. So you're not selecting anyone who's ever going to go against the federal government. That is a pie-in-the-sky lie, and it's never going to work. 
Well, second hour, folks, I'm lucky. I've got uh, my two buds, uh, DW and Cal, coming on, and we'll continue with uh, this subject and move into other particular subjects, if that uh, be uh, which way, ever way it takes us. That's what we'll get to. So, uh, anyway, um, let's see here. We're getting pretty close to break time. And so, folks, please support RBN, republicbroadcasting.org. Let's get it done for free speech. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And uh, so we should be uh, pretty close here. There it is. Freebird. See you on the other side, folks. What would you say if I told you we have a new tool that will increase production and lower maintenance costs for your meat processing company, and it would pay for itself in just six weeks? When pigs fly! The new Ease-Off Model EZ4 replaces old spring-style carcass droppers and is faster, safer, and more reliable. The Ease-Off lowers or lifts 1,000 pounds to or from your rail automatically using our remote control. Sounds expensive. Can I afford it? Can you afford not to try the Ease-Off? It installs fast with just three bolts in place of your current dropper. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue and injuries, speed up your line, eliminate downtime, and increase profit. How can I order my EaseOff? Go to EaseOff.com, E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com, and hurry, because we are offering $200 off on the new Easy 4 for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC. Summersville, Missouri. 417-932-6419. You can't handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit republicbroadcasting.org today because you can handle the truth. 